So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, teach us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you think about, you know, a box that's, uh, that's closed up and you put tape on it to seal it up and uh, make sure that the contents inside are contained and preserved, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He seals us for salvation. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit is a deposit given to us by God to assure us that he will complete our redemption when Christ returns. The Spirit, therefore, plays a vital role in enabling us to persevere in our Christian walk. The Holy Spirit leads us in our sanctification. And we read that in Romans 8, 13 and 14, of course. It's a big chapter about the Spirit. He says in 13 and 14, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So from these two verses, we know that God's children are all led by the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit lead us to do? Well, he leads us in the work of sanctification, which the Spirit, with the Spirit's enabling, we are to put to death the misdeeds of the body. In other words, the Spirit helps us stop sinning and start growing in holiness. And that truth should encourage us, right? Sanctification and perseverance in the spiritual disciplines require hard work, but we don't labor all on our own. The Spirit is at work in us. God gives us the Spirit to lead and to strengthen us. It's the Spirit who enables us to press on in obedience to God. The Spirit produces within us both the desire as well as the ability to discipline ourselves. And um, on the paper here, it says 2 Timothy 1.7, but I like my favorite verses from Philippians chapter 2. Yeah? 12 and 13. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know my favorite verses. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will or to want and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah, those are, you're going to forever remember that those are my favorite verses. Therefore, what we are unable to accomplish in the weakness of our flesh, we're able to do through the Holy Spirit who supernaturally empowers us to obey God. Now, hopefully, you've seen that in your life. I've seen it in my life, I know. In, in areas where sin maybe had root in our life, um, the Holy Spirit has, maybe over time, maybe immediately, in some cases, uh, enabled us to put that sin away, to, to kill it. And where we used to love the things of the world, now we can say honestly that we love and seek the things of God instead. Uh, we stumble and fall, we sin, but we can be confident that God's Spirit will continue to help us to grow in conformity to Christ. And if we're in Him, then our final destination is certain. We're going to get there. 
Um, Romans 8, 29 and 30, of course, said, for it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It's interesting. It's, he's speaking about it in the past tense, but it's, he's talking about us as if it's already done. It's like it's, it's such a guaranteed promise that we can speak about it as if it's already done. If we've trusted in Christ, we know that God has predestined us for glory. And this means there'll come a time when we will be completely and perfectly conformed to Christ. The Holy Spirit enables us to persevere as we wait for that day. God, who began a good work in us, will carry it on to completion when Christ returns. And as we read earlier in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is the guarantee, the guarantee that this will be accomplished. So we should be encouraged. God's not left us alone. Given us the, he's given us the Spirit if we've repented of our sins and believed in Him. So we should be strong in the Lord. We, if we desire to grow into disciplines, we must continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us again, fill us afresh. You know, uh, Schreiner talked yesterday about filling and this isn't a description he used, but the, the, the phrase that came to my mind about being repeatedly filled with the Holy Spirit was, was having these seasons or times in our lives when we yield to the Holy Spirit even more in our lives, increasingly yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, let me stop there. Any questions? Holy Spirit. A quick question. Yeah. Um, so, are we to do everything as Christians by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit or some things? What is the requirement? Mm -hmm. um, I think we would want to do everything in the power of the Spirit. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, I don't know, you know, the familiar phrase, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, if my alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning, you know, I feel like I need an extra dose of the spirit to uh, get me out of bed. Uh, probably you feel that too. Um, but yeah, we even want to do that in the power of the spirit. But I don't think, I don't think doing things in the power of the spirit necessarily means that every time we act to please God, it's going to be easy. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, I don't know, you know, I think I've mentioned these uh, electric bikes that you can rent here. Mm. I mean, when you push on the pedals, it's like, wow, that thing goes. I mean, I'm hardly pushing on the pedals and it just <laughs> it shoots out. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I... I don't feel like my Christian life is like that. A lot of times it's painful to, and yet still, even when it's painful, even when it's hard to get out of bed, even when it's hard to um, forgive people who have hurt you, uh, to, to think of an even more maybe serious and sobering 
illustration. And we can do that in the power of the Spirit. So the power of the Spirit, I think we associate it with ease. It makes it easy, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, yeah. Let me press on. The role of fellowship. That's the next section, part two. What's the role of fellowship in us persevering in the spiritual disciplines? Christian fellowship plays a tremendously important role. Spiritual maturity involves deepening our fellowship with other Christians. So God has placed us in a body of believers, a church, as a means for our growth, as well as for the help to help others grow as well. So our fellowship is not just with God, but also with his people. It's impossible to be in fellowship with God without also being in fellowship with his people. So really to carry out the spiritual disciplines, we need other people in our lives. We need their help. 1 John 1, 3 and 4 say, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So some of the spiritual disciplines, such as corporate worship or corporate prayer and serving, cannot be practiced without us being in fellowship with other believers. You just can't do it by yourself. Furthermore, one of God's purposes of fellowship is to supplement the spiritual disciplines and stimulate our growth and godliness through other people. So we shouldn't pursue the spiritual disciplines in a way that causes us to neglect contributing to the lives of other Christians. And it makes me think about some of the early desert fathers, I believe they're called, uh, who isolated themselves in the desert for, you know, long periods of being away from other people. Um, And yeah, I think oftentimes those people were getting, were misunderstanding uh, how to become more godly. They kind of thought, I'll go out in the middle of the desert and sit on a rock for days and days and weeks and weeks. And that'll make me more godly. I, you know, I definitely getting away and being by yourself is important from time to time. But I don't know about going for months at a time in the in the desert. Um, instead, we're to pursue the spiritual disciplines in the context of proper biblical fellowship. Christianity isn't a solo religion or solo sport. Remember that. God has called us to be a people who are zealous for good works shown to one another. Now, fellowship, when we talk about fellowship, that's a really broad word, and people will talk about fellowship sometimes, and what they mean is socializing. Like, oh, let's have fellowship. It just means like, let's get together and watch a football match or a cricket match. (laughs) I don't know if that's fellowship so much, Although socializing is often a part of and happens within the context of Christian fellowship, it's possible to socialize without having true fellowship. 
as the Bible uses that word, or partnership. We can get together with other believers and talk about all kinds of other things except the Lord and what it means to grow in Him. Socializing involves the sharing of human and earthly life, while Christian fellowship involves the sharing of spiritual life. And so J.I. Packer defines fellowship like this. He says it's seeking to share in what God has made known of himself to others as a means to finding strength, refreshment, refreshment, and instruction for one's own soul. So it really has to do with our spiritual lives. And of course, that doesn't mean we can't talk about sports or we can't talk about the weather or we can't talk about other, other things. But if we have true fellowship, talking about Christ and God and our Christian walk with him are going to be frequent topics of conversation. Our mutual encouragement um, can help us to advance in holiness. As we meet up regularly with other believers, whether one-on-one or in a small group or for corporate worship, we are exhorting one another to grow in godliness. Other Christians can encourage us to persevere in the spiritual disciplines. So Proverbs 27, 17, you probably know this verse, really famous. Iron sharpens iron. iron. That's right, you can finish it. As And one man sharpens another. So as God's people, we all have a duty to meet together regularly for the purpose of encouraging each other to keep going in our Christian walk. And of course, makes you think of Hebrews 10, right? 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So God intends us, intends mutual edification to take place through the fellowship of Christians in a church. But we have to be deliberate. We have to be intentional in our efforts to encourage one another because look, it says, right, let us consider how we may spur one another on. So it means you've given it some forethought. You're thinking, oh, how can I encourage that person in the Lord? Or when I go to church today, to the church gathering, how can I be an encouragement to the people I I talk to? Yeah, it's thoughtful. It doesn't just happen on its own. We need to make the effort to get to know other Christians, to know how to love them well. One of the biblical images, of course, of the church is of a body where each believer is a different part of the body, right? Ephesians 4 15 and 16, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The church builds itself up in love. Each one of us has a role to play in contributing to the proper working of the local church. And so as just like a body grows, each individual Christian is built up as well in the church when we serve one another. And as we practice the spiritual disciplines, we help to strengthen the fellowship of believers in the church. And then 
you know, it's like a cycle. Then biblical fellowship strengthens our individual practice of spiritual disciplines. So when we practice the disciplines, we're, we're reminded about serving others. And then we also go into the context of fellowship and we're encouraged to keep going in our spiritual disciplines. Without true fellowship, even the Christian who is trying really hard to practice the spiritual disciplines will not develop in a spiritually balanced way. So Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It's a big theme in Hebrews, right? The importance of continuing to gather together, to build one another up in Christ, the importance of the body and of fellowship. The Hebrews were tempted to do away with all that, just to be done with it. When we are outside the spiritual protection that God intends for us to get from fellowship in his church, it's much easier to be deceived by sin. And oftentimes I find that's true. When people are on the edges of the Christian community, you know, they're not really very involved. Oof, they're, they're more prone to be falling into sin. I think it's true for myself too, of course. I've seen it. Thomas Watson says that, uh, who was a famous Puritan Christian, said, we associate with sanctified persons. They may, by their counsel, prayers, and holy example, be a means to make you holy. So we should think about our involvement with the lives of other believers and consider whether more regular fellowship can help us be more faithful in the spiritual disciplines. Any questions? That's part two. Fellowship, the role of fellowship and persevering. Um, I'm wondering, how do we encourage one another every day as long as it is called today? <laughs> yeah, how do we encourage one another every day as long, it is, as, long as it is today? Um, I think, um, let me look at the context of that verse. Hebrews 3. Verse 13? Yep, 13. Yeah, he says, um, and I think, I think he's talking about today as in the present, and tomorrow he's referring to the, the end times when Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of saying, hey, Jesus hasn't come back yet, so encourage one another, exhort one another every day as long as Jesus hasn't come back, keep going with that so that we won't get hard hearts and be deceived by sin. Because he says there in verse 15, as it is said, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts in the rebellion. Um, yeah. And then verse chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, so he's saying, again, he's referring to the, the prom- entering the promised rest when Jesus comes back. Uh, so the, to the reference to today means as long as Jesus hasn't come back. And you said, was that, your, am I answering your question, Edwin? Uh, yeah. How, how do we uh-huh. exhort one another? Yeah, every day. Every day. Just one. Sometimes, I don't know why, but sometimes when I read that verse, I feel guilty. You feel guilty? Yeah, that while I encourage people, I don't know if I do it every day. Mm, mm, yeah. Is yeah. that involving every the least conversation I get to have with anyone to just see to it that I'm an encouragement to someone? Yeah. Yeah. Or it really means every day. Um, well, I think ideally it's every day. <laughs> you know, ideally, I mean, there's some days. There's some days you might act. I mean, for people who work in Christian ministry, oftentimes we have contact with Christians every day. Right. So, but for people who work in the work world, they may go to work and not have any contact with Christians all day long. Um, and and so there's no one to encourage. I mean, they can do evangelism all day long, <laughs> which is uh, you know another another thing. Or they can think to text a Christian friend. You know, I think it's a good goal to have it to be something you do every day. Uh, I think it's means consistently we'll do regularly, yeah. we'll not stop. That's right, that's right. I think I think consistency is kind of the goal rather than maybe every day. literally every day. And this also helps me to see why, why the point you made earlier is, is quite important. Something you're more spiritual when you go and you're secluded in an isolated place for days upon days on the yeah. mountain. Yeah. And you feel that makes you closer to God. Right. How, how and, and it can be good. Mm. I, I, I think solitude is really helpful spiritual discipline. Yeah. But uh, it, it can be exaggerated too much. Mm. I don't think many of us are actually, in, many of us are in danger of, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I need a little bit more solitude, to be honest. Um, yeah. Let me go on to section three, the role of struggle. So we did uh, the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of fellowship, and now the role of struggling. And that seems like a little bit of a strange one. Um, we must recognize that there is necessarily an element of struggle in the Christian life. As those who belong to Christ, we find ourselves at odds with our old sinful natures and the world and Satan. And, and that produces struggle, right? We live in a sinful world, a distracting world. Here's what J.I. Packer says. So we need to remember that any idea of getting beyond conflict, outward or inward in our pursuit of holiness in the world is uh, an escapist dream. In other words, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> It's, that's, that's a dream that can only 
have disillusioning and demoralizing effects on us as waking experience daily disproves it. In other words, yeah, I mean, we have a struggle every day in, in some ways. Some days are easier, some days are harder, but there's always some struggle. What we must realize, he goes on to say, rather, is that any real holiness in us will be under hostile fire all the time, just as our Lord's was. So he was under hostile fire. I mean, we've seen that in the Gospel of John. He seemed to always be under hostile attack, so to speak. In other words, we should not be misled into thinking that the Christian life is easy. There's no magic formula to follow that will free us from the pain and the struggle of combating sin and persevering in obedience. God means for us to be engaged in spiritual warfare, and he strengthens us for this. So we have Psalm 144.1, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Of course, that was a, I suspect that's a Davidic psalm, and David literally went into battle with swords and spears and fought against other armies. Our battle is we don't fight physical battles, um, but we fight spiritual battles. So there's a spiritual struggle for us. The idea that practicing the spiritual disciplines and progressing in godliness will be accompanied by struggle is confirmed by the context of 1 Timothy 4.7. After exhorting us to train ourselves for godliness, Paul adds in verse 10 that it is, quote, to this end we toil and strive. Toil and strive. Yeah. Toil and strive tell us that becoming like Christ involves a lot more than literally just kind of laying back and letting God do it to us. God has no theology, excuse me, Paul has no theology that suggests we are to be passive individuals in the pursuit of godliness. So we get our, we get the English word agonize. So like agonizing, meaning difficult and hard from the term that is translated as strive in that verse in 1 Timothy 4.10. It's a strong word. And the sense is that for the sake of godliness, we are to agonize and labor until we're weary and spent. Nothing in these verses suggests that this pursuit will be an easy process. This is in no way, it diminishes the role of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that kind of with your question in the first section. There is a balance involved. Progress in the Christian life comes not by the work of the Holy Spirit alone, nor by our work alone. It comes by our responding to and cooperating with the grace that the Holy Spirit initiates and sustains in us. And we could see Paul summarizing that balance well when he says in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, so he's toiling, he's struggling, but he also says that God's energy is powerfully working within him. 
So we need to grasp this balance between our effort and the Spirit's work in us if we are to correctly understand the biblical way of growing in godliness. This keeps us from swinging to either extreme, you know. If we attempt to rely too much on our own strength or sit back and expect the Holy Spirit to do all the work, we will not make progress in our sanctification. As long as we're in this life, our sinful flesh, the world, and the devil will constantly wage war against us. We face enemies both within side of ourselves and outside of ourselves. And, you know, Galatians 5.17 speaks of our war against the flesh. That indwelling nature that we have towards sin. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. It sounds like Romans 8, doesn't it? For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's so interesting. It's so much like Romans chapter 8. These are the days, these are days when our greatest joy is to spend time in God's Word. Oh, excuse me. There are days (laughs) when our greatest joy is to spend time in God's Word. You know, it's wonderful. We feel buoyed, we feel lifted up, we feel energized. We feel strengthened. And there's also times when we enjoy sweet prayer, so much so that we yearn for more uninterrupted communion with God. And yet, there's also going to be really difficult dry times, like when when you're like, "I, I don't know, it's hard to read my Bible right now, or it's hard to pray. But even though disciplining ourselves is sometimes difficult and involves struggle, Self-discipline is not self-punishment. It's an attempt to do what we actually desire in our hearts to do when prompted by the Spirit. And I often find that when I just push through and I kind of get over that initial, I feel distracted, I don't want to read, I feel tired, I don't want to read, or I don't want to pray. If I push through that and I start, then God helps me. Um, Well, in case you might become overwhelmed by all this talk about conflict and struggle, we need to remember that Jesus Christ has already won the victory for us, right? Mm -hmm. So even when we struggle and strive, we know that Jesus has guaranteed that we'll cross the finish line. We're more than conquerors through Christ, of course. Again, Romans 8, who loved us and gave himself for us, Paul realized this glorious truth even as he struggled to fight sin. So in Romans 7, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So we shouldn't be surprised or discouraged by the struggle of persevering in spiritual disciplines, right? Trust that because of Christ's accomplishment in his work on the cross, our struggle won't be for nothing. The victory that we actually experience over the forces opposing our progress and the disciplines will come 
practically speaking, through practicing the disciplines and then, and then living a godly life when we close up our Bible and close out our prayer and say amen and go into the rest of the day, right? So we should look forward to Jesus' return when our struggle will be finished and we will be like him I mean, that helps a runner get to the end of the race and cross the finish line. You know you're going to get to rest. And so in the same way, we should think about Jesus' return and the fact that we'll be made completely holy, not able to sin. There won't be any struggle anymore. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We are not what we ought to be or wish to be, but with our minds fixed on the glorious hope that awaits us in Christ, let us face this struggle with spirit-ignited resolve. And I want to say too, you know, he's talking about, again, kind of the goal of the spiritual disciplines is that not just that we complete the spiritual disciplines and we check the box, although completing them is really helpful, (laughs) moving through them, it's that when we then move into the day, that that time with the Lord, the things that we've learned, uh, the prayers that we've offered up to Him in trust and faith, we look for those to be completed. We look to be strengthened by the Spirit to love those who don't love us when we go out into the world, to forgive those who are not nice to us, for example, to look for ways to serve other people when it would be easier for us not to. That's the real fruit, right, of the spiritual disciplines is being strengthened and, and directed by what the content of our spiritual disciplines to live more and more godly lives. So I think... <clears throat> If people feel like they're not moving on in godliness, sometimes I think it's because they're just kind of going through the motions in their spiritual disciplines and not really interacting with God, listening or talking to Him, showing up at church, not interacting with anybody, just kind of coming in and leaving. Yeah that's probably not going to have a big effect in our lives. Any questions about the role of struggling? Mm, One question. Okay. Uh, While spiritual discipline, so in discipline we think to do this and just to check, complete. Check, yeah, yeah. okay, I completed that, (laughs) right. And how we will manage with uh, that spiritual work, spirit is working in us and that things that we do not want be uh, legalism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, legalism. Legalism is, again, legalism means doing those things in order to earn God's favor. So, and that leads to pride. Or it leads to terrible discouragement, right? Terrible discouragement when we fail. 
pride, which is another form of pride, actually, and 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 really and pride when we when we succeed, so to speak, mm. succeed in that way, right? Um, and I think, and your question again is, I'm, I'm, uh, as a checklist, we are doing. How, how do we avoid yeah. doing it for legalistic reasons? Yeah. Well, I think you know, honestly, before you pray, before you study scripture, um, before you get to, on the way to church, you know, pray, and remind yourself, Lord, you died on the cross. My sins are forgiven. I'm accepted and received by you. I am a child of God before I open my Bible, before I pray, before I get to church, right? And I can't improve on that situation. I can't improve on my standing with God by doing those things. I can improve on my apprehension, my my receiving of the grace that He has for me but um, I can realize it more, but I'm not earning it. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. yeah, so reminding yourself about your salvation, I think, regularly in the midst of the spiritual disciplines. And really, that's a lot of what the spiritual disciplines are for, to remind us that we're saved, yeah. what Christ has done, and what he's going to do. So lastly... Let me tackle um, just two, uh, one more category here, kind of a summary, wrap-up section, moving towards godliness. A, point A, or this is actually just bullet point on your, is we should practice the spiritual disciplines with our eyes fixed on eternity, in light of eternity. It's said that Jonathan Edwards used to pray, oh God, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. In other words, let me see eternity so that I'm always living life in light of eternity. Imagine how differently we would spend our time and make our choices in life if we saw everything from the perspective of eternity. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. To see the spiritual disciplines only from a temporal perspective is short-sighted since the weight of eternity hangs upon a thin wire of time. That's a Puritan. Thomas Watson said that. Let us use our time and spend our energies in ways that are profitable not only for this life, but also for eternity. And then remember, we need to remember bullet point two, that practicing the spiritual disciplines is necessary for godliness. We just won't grow. You just won't grow if you don't take action. There's no shortcuts in the Christian life. Sinful flesh seeks a life of ease, but the Holy Spirit leads us down a narrow, rugged road to eternal life. So the question is, will we be diligent in cultivating these spiritual disciplines in our lives so we can grow? Will we resolve with the help of the Spirit 
and, the, and Christian fellowship to struggle towards godliness, strive towards it. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We will reap if we do not give up. That's the end. All right, guys, I'm going to close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for teaching us through this class. Lord, I've been encouraged and reminded and uh, boosted in my desire to be in your word and be in prayer and to serve others in the church, be in fellowship, uh, practice all these spiritual disciplines to access the grace that has been promised to me and to us. And I pray the same thing for Edwin and for Sawan. Lord, help us grow in godliness. Help us be more like Jesus now in anticipation of being made entirely like Jesus, completely holy and glorified when you return. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.